So today is Christ the King Sunday. Have you guys heard that yet? Yeah? Okay, it's Christ the King Sunday, which we have told you. Uh, it's the last Sunday of the church year, so everything starts over next week uh, with Advent. Uh, but Christ the King Sunday reminds us uh, something we desperately need to remember in, in these days, is that all of history is heading towards a definite end. It's not circular, it's, it's heading towards a definite end, it's heading towards a grand climax, which is nothing less than an everlasting kingdom under the gracious rule of Christ the King. The scriptures speak of this hope, like in Revelation eleven fifteen, they anticipate that great day, where it says it will be proclaimed that the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Anybody have Handel's Messiah going in their head right now? And he shall reign. It's coming up. And today reminds us that the meaning of history is Christ. He is the beginning and the end. He is before all things. In him, all things hold together. All things are reconciled in him, whether on earth or in heaven. And therefore, it's very fitting. That this is also our last Sunday in our semester-long preaching series on the Apostles' Creed, entitled Rooted. We've been looking because in an ever-shifting world, we can feel like these like uh, tumbleweeds that are, that are blown around by the latest wind of beliefs. But we've been looking at the faith that has been once delivered to the saints, the, the summary of the apostles' teaching that men and women have built their lives upon for 2,000 years, Lord, that we might be rooted with them in the eternal truths of Scripture. And today we come to the conclusion. We come to the last two lines of the creed which is actually telling us the same thing that Christ the King Sunday is telling us. And that is that the end of history and the end of the Christian faith are to know Christ. Know Christ the King, to dwell with him in his kingdom forever. So today we're going to ask, what does it mean to believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting? The resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. In other words, where is this all headed? What is the end game of the Christian faith? And so to answer this, we're going to turn to the words of the last apostle. History tells us that the last living apostle was John. So he's kind of like the, the last Jedi, you know? You can make a movie about him. He's the last living eyewitness to the resurrected Christ. And he wrote a sermon that we call 1 John, where like a wise sage, he tells us, he sums up the meaning of the Christian life. And so it's kind of fitting. On our last sermon on the Apostles' Creed, we give our attention to the last apostle. So would you stand for the reading of God's word from 1 John? We have a couple of excerpts here from 1 John chapter 1, chapter 3, and chapter 5. John writes, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which, you, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, 
because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. But this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for the preaching of God's word. Our Father, I'm reminded in the scriptures when, when the Apostle Peter, when everyone else was deserting Christ, and Christ asked him, are you going to leave too? And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So Lord, as we come to your word today, we say the same thing. Where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. So speak those words to us today and give us the ability by your spirit to hear them, to to receive them, to believe them, to bank our lives on them. Lord, help us, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Would you be seated, please? And they all lived happily ever after. (laughs) That's the last line of the fairy tales that we tell our children, right? And we tell them these stories when they're young and innocent. We tell them because we, uh, we, we want them to believe in the fairy tale endings. We want them to believe in an ordered world, in a moral universe where everything works out like it's supposed to in the end. Right? Villains lose and heroes win. Wrong is punished, right is rewarded. Justice and goodness and love will prevail. This is the world that we want them to believe in. It's a simpler world. It's a black and white world with no gray where the story has a happy ending. And now, you know, we know they're going to grow up and they're going to learn that life is a lot more complicated than that. There's plenty of time for that. They'll learn sometimes it doesn't work out like you hoped. Sometimes you don't get the ending you wanted. Sometimes the world is scary and unpredictable, and it seems like injustice and evil are winning, while goodness and truth suffer. We know they're going to be introduced to that aspect of our fallen world. I still remember the moment when my oldest child, Jackson, sorry, all my kids, you end up in my sermon illustrations, whether you like it or not. I probably should ask you about this, but it's good. Uh, I I still remember the moment when he learned uh, that the world is dangerous. Every, Every child has that moment. He was seven years old. He was just walking across our front yard to go say hi to our neighbors because he was a friendly kid. And this crazy dog got loose, came after him, tackled him to the ground, bit him several times on the backside. It was awful. It could have been a lot worse, but this was his introduction to fear, to the reality that the world is, is not a safe place. It's not like the fairy tales we told him. So we know that the life can be an education in doubt and skepticism and disappointment. But it's like we want, we want them to believe in the fairy tale for as long as possible, right? But you know what? I was thinking about it this week. I think we also tell them these stories because we want to believe in fairy tales too, if we're honest. 
We want to believe in the happy ending. Despite all the evidences to the contrary in our lives, we can't shake that hope that maybe, just maybe, things will actually work out right in the end after all. Brothers and sisters, I think this is so because we all have the indelible stamp of Eden on our souls. When I say that, I mean the Garden of Eden, the perfect paradise where Adam and Eve lived with God before sin ruined everything. Theologians actually tell us that we were there in Eden, in our representative, Adam. So it makes sense that if we were there to inherit his sin nature, then maybe we were there also to inherit his longing for perfection. A longing to return to a perfect world of complete beauty, justice, and love. C.S. Lewis said that heaven is that remote music we are born remembering. I love that. Heaven is that remote music we are born remembering. We know the tune somehow. It's like the whole human race has this kind of deep memory of paradise lost. And we would do anything to get back there. We're looking for a way back home. And therefore, every philosophy, every religion have, has its vision of the way to paradise. The way to happily ever after, to the end of all things. Islam pictures a paradise where heroic men are given 60 virgins each, which admittedly sounds a little like a better deal for the men than for the women, if we're honest. Buddhism has a vision of the end of the cycle of suffering by just ceasing to exist altogether. Hinduism offers a a continuous cycle of rebirth where you move up or down the chain of being based upon the karma of your most recent life. And if the recent rash of dystopian novels and films are any indicator, then the non-religious secular account sees the future as just a burned-out world, a wasteland of a world because of the consequences of humanity's years of ravaging the land and its resources and abusing each other. In that account, the future does not look very bright. Now, I may be, I may be a little biased, but I think the Christian vision of the end of all things is the most beautiful the most compelling, the most satisfying account that exists. To be clear, I am not talking about this pop culture version of Christianity that imagines a heaven where we're all like these disembodied spirits, dressed in glowing white robes, floating on clouds, plucking harps. That sounds kind of miserable, actually. Maybe fun for a little while, but not for eternity, right? Now, what I'm talking about is the vision that's summarized right here for us in the last lines of the creed, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. That's what I want to talk about today. What is it that makes this ending so wonderfully compelling and unique? Two points. First of all, I think it's so compelling and so unique because it tells us that the end has actually already begun. The end has already begun. What do I mean by that? Well, the creed says that we believe in the life everlasting. And actually, that's not a common phrase in the Bible. I looked it up on my uh, ESP study Bible app. It came up once. But it is, this phrase is analogous. It's an analogous way of talking about a phrase that, that happens in the Bible all the time, which is eternal life. The creed at first ended actually with the resurrection of the body, but and the life everlasting was added a couple of years later as a way to explain what are we raised to? We are raised to eternal life. 
But interestingly, the Bible has a very specific meaning for eternal life. And it's not actually primarily about duration. It's not about just living forever. Living for eternity, especially if it's just a continuation of this life, would not be heaven at all. Just ask Wolverine. (laughs) Anybody see the movie Logan? Oh my gosh. Even a superhero who can't die is pretty miserable with all the suffering and loss he has experienced in the world. Now, actually, eternal life is not about quantity at all. It's about quality. And the scriptures say the greatest quality of life we can have as a human being is to know God. To know God. Listen to Jesus' prayer in John 17, 3. It's one of his last prayers before he goes to the cross. He said, when Jesus has spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. There it is. Eternal life is knowing the only true God through Jesus Christ whom he has sent. It's not primarily a place, it's a person. And that is exactly what John reiterates in his sermon called 1 John. Notice, you heard it. Notice he says that Jesus is the eternal life in himself. Even before he came to earth, he is true life. Verse 2 says, We proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. John kind of gives us the chronology of how this happens. He says, The life, the Son, existed from all eternity with the Father until he was made manifest to the whole world and became a human being. He took on flesh. But he was especially made manifest to the apostles, this group of people who followed him around for three years, like John. He says, they heard the word of life with their own ears. They saw him with their own eyes. They touched him with their own hands. They encountered life itself in the person of Jesus Christ. And now it's their job to proclaim what they saw and heard to us so that we can see and hear the word of life in their testimony, so that we too can have eternal life so that we can have fellowship with the apostles. And John says, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Friends, that's why it's called the Apostles' Creed, because it's built on their eyewitness. They saw, they reported to us, so that we too can believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, we may have life in his name. John kind of sums it up in chapter 5, verse 11. He says, this is the testimony That God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. One commentator puts it like this. So John does not really define this special quality of life, except by saying that it is identical with Jesus himself. The Son of God is the one who is truly and fully alive. All other things are alive through Him. And when we get close enough to this personal life source, we begin to share His quality of life. We too become truly and fully alive. In the person of Jesus, we find ourselves drawn into a quality of life that is so rich, it can only be described as eternal. So what then is eternal life? It is life together 
in and with Jesus Christ. And that means, if you know God through Jesus Christ, then you have eternal life right now. Eternal life has already begun. It's not just a future hope, it's a present reality. What makes eternal life, uh, what makes it life eternal is not the quantity, but the quality of knowing Jesus Christ. It is by faith now, yes, and it will be by sight one day and for all eternity. Friends and sisters, what I want you to consider today is that your deep longing for happily ever after is a longing for life itself. It's a longing for life, and you will keep looking for that life in all sorts of places, in all the wrong places, whether it's in the next job, or the next lover, or the next trip, or the next city, or the next church. Because you were created for God and by God, and therefore any life you create for yourself apart from that life will be restless. St. Augustine prayed way back in the 4th century, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. We will always be restless until we rest in the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And friends, that also means that every time you read the pages of Scripture, every time you come to church and you hear a sermon, every time you talk about the Bible in a community group or with friends, you are encountering eternal life itself right now. You are brushing up against the life that is truly life. It's already begun. But it will get better. It'll get even better as you see him face to face one day. Eternal life is knowing and delighting in God for all eternity, starting now. That's one reason I find the Christian account so compelling and so beautiful. Secondly, I find the Christian vision so compelling because the end... Is fully embodied. The end of all things is fully embodied. Notice, we believe in the resurrection of the body, not the immortality of the soul. We believe in the resurrection of body. That means these bodies of flesh. The eternal life of knowing God will actually take place in resurrected bodies, in a resurrected creation, a new heaven and a new earth. One of the first people to give to anticipate this hope was Job. All the way back in Job chapter 19, 25 to 27. Listen to what he says. It's often read at funerals. He says, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and that at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another. Do you hear it? He will stand upon the earth. And in my flesh, I shall see God. The fact is, there is actually no other faith that gives more importance to the material world than Christianity. From the beginning to the end, the creed has affirmed the value of the material creation. Think about it. It began with God the Father Almighty. And what is he doing? He's creating everything. The spiritual world, yes, the spiritual world of heaven, but also the physical world of earth. He's the maker of heaven and earth. And the middle part talks about God the Son crossing over that boundary from heaven to earth, entering into our physical world, entering into our very flesh. He becomes a full human being. He lived, he suffered, he died, and he rose again in a body like ours. What incredible honor that God would espouse our nature. 
And now this final section talks about the final redemption of human nature by the power of the Holy Spirit, and that is the resurrection of the body. Romans 8.11 says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Brothers and sisters, in Christianity, the body matters. Dirt matters. Creation matters. God made it, and He loves it so much that He sent His only Son to redeem it from sin and misery. And it says he will not stop until he makes all things new. That's every leaf, every branch, every cell, every membrane, every capillary, you name it. Brothers and sisters, that means if your salvation story ends with escaping this evil world or flying away from the tombs of a body that we have to live in some sort of spiritual place, I'm afraid to tell you that is not Christianity. The Christian gospel is so much bigger and so much better than this because it's fully embodied. It's a new creation. Granted, brothers and sisters, we are talking about mysteries. Nobody knows exactly what it's going to be like, but we do know that it will be physical. It will be material. The Apostle John's way of talking about it that we read was in chapter 3, verse 2. He said, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we, what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Listen, we don't know exactly what it will be, but we do know that when he appears, we shall be like him. And what is Jesus like? Well, he has a resurrected body. In fact, he has the only one so far. He is the prototype. Anyone else who was raised from the dead in the Bible, like Lazarus, they were raised to their former body, and they would have to die again. But Jesus was not, Jesus' resurrection was not a resuscitation. It was a resurrection. He was raised to his imperishable, imperishable body that is fit for the kingdom of God. We know there was continuity with his old body. He looked like himself. He retained the scars of his crucifixion. He ate fish. He could be embraced. But there was also discontinuity. People didn't recognize him at first. Because it was a new, it was a glorious body that he he could even pass through locked doors somehow. Most of all, brothers and sisters, this new body could never die again. It could never get sick again. It could never get cancer or COVID. It could never suffer from depression or an eating disorder. It can never again be the root of insecurity or the object of abuse. When he appears, we shall be like him because we will see him as he is. So to be clear, friends, this is the fullness of the Christian's hope. If you die in Christ before he returns, then your soul will immediately go to heaven. That is the paradise that Jesus made for those he loves, where you will rest with him, with all those who have died in Christ. But that is not our final destination. From there, we await the return of Christ to earth, where he will raise our bodies from their graves, reunite them with our souls, and after the final judgment, we will be brought to dwell with him in a new heaven and a new earth. We will feast. We will work. 
We will share life together and we will weep no more. This means I think we need new images of what lies ahead of us to stoke our hope. (laughs) Not of disembodied spirits playing on clouds in an endless church service, please. More like imagine this world, but completely emptied of sin and evil. Imagine a renewed Madison, Wisconsin. Imagine friendship without strife. Imagine work without futility. Imagine intimacy with Christ, of which marriage was just a dim shadow. Imagine the best food and wine and music and dancing and worship. I think we need new material for our imaginations. One pastor who pastors in New Orleans, uh, he said this this week that I read. He said, I don't know of a better picture of heaven than Mardi Gras. It's a picture of grace and hospitality. He says, this is the only major event like this I know of that is completely free of advertising or sponsorship. Nobody makes any money from it. They just get together and they celebrate to give and to share. It's a picture of creativity that reflects our creator. Its it's diversity is beautiful. All All walks of life line up together to share, to talk, to laugh, to celebrate together. It's the best celebration I know. It's a glimpse of the party that is the kingdom of God. Now that sounds good. For me, I, I like to think it's like the best night with the best friends, with the best conversation, over the best meal after a long week of work. I think that's what it is. Maybe it's just a glimpse, but we know it's going to be even better than this. It's going to be better than you can possibly imagine. Scripture says, No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. So friends, I ask you today, do you still believe in happily ever after? Or have you succumbed, like I often do, to a new tagline, which is, if it sounds too good to be true, then it probably is. That's a phrase we have learned through hard experience through heartache, through pain, and through disappointment. So maybe all this sounds like a fairy tale that couldn't possibly be real and true. But I leave you with the words of the Jesus Storybook Bible, who says that actually it is like a fairy tale, but it's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. It concludes, for anyone who says yes to Jesus, for anyone who believes what Jesus said, For anyone who would just reach out to take it, then God will give them this wonderful gift to be born into a whole new life, to be who they really are, who God always made them to be, their own true selves, God's dear child. Because you see, the most wonderful thing about this story is it's your story too. Amen. Let's pray. Let's ask God to help us. Our Father, I thank you for what the Scripture says, that we can have a living hope through the the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We can have this hope like an anchor for our souls. Lord, I simply ask that you would give us a vision today from your Scriptures, by the Spirit, of what awaits those who trust in Christ. Lord, give us an accurate picture, a compelling and a beautiful future, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. And help us, Lord, to live now 
in light of that glorious future. Thank you for the gift that we could not create on our own of knowing God through Jesus Christ. This is eternal life. Thanks be to God. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.